Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Of course, we started the series last week, Building the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue that this week. Um, now, when you're, when you're speaking of another church, or you're speaking of a believer, when someone uses the word charismatic, what comes to your mind? Maybe you uh, think of someone who is overly emotional in their worship. Although, I don't know why that's considered a bad thing. But you but think, think of people, people who, they, they cry when they sing, sing and they have their hands, hands up, and then they shout a much. And again, again, I don't know why that's bad. But, but that's what some people think of. Maybe you think of someone who is into or believes in some, some, some weird things like, like talking in tongues or faith healings or snake handling or, or things like that. Like that's, that's, that's the charismatic crowd. Um, in the truest sense of the word, every child of God is supposed to be charismatic. It is impossible to follow Jesus if you're not. not. Now, the now, word charismatic comes from the Greek word, word charisma. It simply means gifts of grace. So, someone who is a charismatic, they are a believer that operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is something that every single one of us as children of God are supposed to do. Now, we can disagree about what exactly being charismatic looks like, but not about whether or not we are supposed to be charismatic. In fact, Jesus was a charismatic. Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Luke shows us that. Now, every gospel, all four gospels, tell the story of Jesus, but they all have unique themes and different perspectives that tell the story of Jesus. And one of the main themes in Luke's gospel is to show that Jesus's source of power was the Holy Spirit. Now, that probably seems confusing because wouldn't the source of Jesus' power come from the fact that Jesus is God? Well, yes and no. Um, Luke, he goes to incredible lengths to show us that the miraculous things that Jesus did, the healings, the resurrection as a one was a major one of them, the, the uh, seeing into people's hearts, his preaching, his praying with power, his resisting sin, his overcoming the devil. All these things were done, were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a pretty deep theological concept that's kind of hard to understand and something that I've struggled with for a while, especially trying to teach it properly so that we all understand it. Uh, so let me explain. Jesus is God. Do we all agree with that? Does anyone here believe that Jesus is not God? Because we've got to deal with that first of all. So we all agree Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is God. When he was on earth, 
He was God in the flesh. Everybody understand that? He is the creative force in eternity. You know, John tells us that Jesus was the one that spoke everything into existence. So Jesus never has and Jesus never will not be God. He was God in creation. He was God on earth, and he is God now as he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He would, when he was born of a virgin, he didn't give up his godness. He was still the all-powerful creator God. But he did willingly and freely give up his power. We see that in places like Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see on the screen, Philippians 2, <coughs> chapter number 5. Uh, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, Joel, Josh, I mean, here we go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, this verse here, it explains the theological concept of what is known as the kenosis or the emptying. In verse number seven, when it says he made himself of no reputation, that word made is a Greek word kanau, and it means to empty yourself of or deprive of force. When Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself, not of his godness, not of his, his holiness, not of his position as creator God, but he emptied himself self of his access to the power of God. He didn't stop being God. He just limited his access to the power as God. That's why Luke says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with man. How can an all-knowing, all-powerful God grow in wisdom? Because while he was on earth, he limited himself to his power as God. I hate this thing with a passion. All right. So he, he limited himself to his access to God's power. What, what about when and Jesus says in Matthew 24... He says that he doesn't know the day or the hour when he comes, that nobody knows, only the Father knows. How can, again, how can an omniscient, all-knowing God not know something? Because he limited his access to the power and wisdom of God while he was on earth. He emptied himself of his power and his knowledge. Here's the question. If he limited his access to his power as God... How did he do the miracles that he did? How did he walk on water? How did he feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? How did he raise Lazarus from the dead? How did he heal the lepers? How did he preach with such power and conviction? How did he have such communion with God the Father? How did he overcome the, the devil and temptation and sin? Luke's answer is he did all of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that for us is incredible news because we have access to the same spirit that he does. Luke 
is a human writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he shows us a lot of parallels between the work of Jesus on earth and the work of the church in the book of Acts. Both Jesus in Luke and the church in Acts, they experienced the power of the Spirit in similar ways. Jesus' main point, main purpose to come to earth was to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again to redeem us to God the Father. He but... He lived on this earth for 33 years. And there are a lot of things that we're supposed to learn from his life, and we tend to overlook that. We only focus on his death, burial, and resurrection, which is necessary. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, no matter what he did on this earth, we're without hope. So yes, the death, burial, and resurrection are vitally important and we should focus on that and believe that and share the story of that. But also, Jesus showed us how to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. His death enables us to live, but his life shows us how to live. So before we get to the points of the message, I have two of them. They're at the very end. We're going to have a very long introduction and a brief two-point message. So we'll be out soon, I promise you. Before we get to the message, I want to show you these parallels between Jesus in the book of Luke and the church in the book of Acts and how they, they work together. For the first thing, similarity we noticed between the church and Jesus was, number one, their baptism. When Jesus begins his earthly ministry and is baptized by John the Baptist. We know the story. The Spirit of God descended on him like a, like a dove. Look at Luke chapter 3, starting in verse number 21. And again, we're going to be flipping back and forth between Luke and Acts a whole lot. So if you want to write them down and check later, if you want to try to keep up, keep up. They're on the screen, and I'll read them too. But Luke chapter 3, starting in verse number 21, says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying and praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, a physical visual representation of the spirit of God coming upon him. God's voice comes from heaven, says you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in the same way. When the church was born in Acts chapter 2, they were empowered or they were born or baptized in the ministry by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So when the church was baptized into the ministry, the Holy Spirit descended upon them like tongues of fire. The wind, the rushing wind came in, and they were baptized into the ministry, just like Jesus was baptized in the ministry at the Jordan River. So we see the similarity in their baptism. We also see a similarity in their preaching, in how they preached and what empowered them to preach. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse number 14. 
says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified and all. So Jesus returned to preach, and what, in that, what gave him power to preach the gospel like he did? The Holy Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit of God. The same language is used to describe the preaching of the people of the early church. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, before he preached Pentecost, he was filled with the Spirit. Peter and John, when they preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, 31, that they were filled with the Spirit. And they went out boldly preaching the word of God. Acts chapter seven says that Stephen was filled with the spirit before he preached the gospel to the crowd that eventually stoned him to death. Jesus told the apostles that when they would go out and preach the gospel, that they should depend on the spirit when they preached. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when they bring you to the synagogues and to the magistrates and powers, Take you no thought for how, or take you no thought how or what ye shall answer, or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So both Jesus and the early church, they received power to preach through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were similar in their baptism. They were similar in their, their preaching. Their thirdly, they were similar. There's a parallel in their overcoming temptation. After Jesus' baptism, he is led, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. But he didn't just go out there on his own. He was empowered by and led by the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 4. Verse number one, <clears throat> and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the who? By the Spirit into the wilderness. He is empowered by the Spirit. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be fasted for 40 days. At the end of that 40 days, you know the story, Jesus, the devil comes to him and tempts him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able to overcome the temptation of the devil. Now, Luke is the only gospel writer to give us this detail, that Jesus was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Acts... The church is dragged before the Sanhedrin. They are beaten and they are told to stop preaching. They are facing their own temptation. Now, they're not in the desert hungry, being tempted by Satan himself, but they've been physically abused. They've been beaten by the, the religious leaders. They've been commanded to stop preaching. And look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Send of them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. We're not going to read the rest of it because it's a long message of Peter saying, we don't care what you say, we're doing what God says. He had the power to stand up and boldly overcome that and resist their temptation to stop preaching because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him. 
They responded to their accusers. They faced their temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did in Luke chapter number four. Not only are they uh, a parallel in their overcoming, they're also a parallel in their mission. In Luke, the Bible says Jesus is sent out by the Spirit to go around Israel and preach the gospel. In Acts, the church is sent out by the Spirit to preach the gospel to the entire world. There is also a parallel between their miracles. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus heals a paralytic man. The Bible says in that account, in Luke chapter 5, 17, it says at the end of it, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Well, of course the power of the Lord was present to heal them because the Lord was there. Jesus was there doing the healing, so why wouldn't the power of the Lord be there to heal him? But Luke is telling us something important. He is telling us that there were times when Jesus was on earth that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to enable him to heal people. We see that a lot in the book of Luke. We also see it a lot in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the power of the Spirit gave Stephen the power to see into heaven. That's in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. In Acts chapter 8, it allowed the first Christians to understand languages they'd never heard before. In Acts chapter 13, it enabled Paul to heal a blind man. In Acts chapter 8, it allowed Philip to be transported to the desert to preach to an Ethiopian eunuch. They were given power, both Jesus and the early church had power to do the miracles that they did through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are also parallels in their, their prophecy. Now by prophecy, I mean speaking God's word or speaking God's blessing into people's lives or making God's plans known. In Luke chapter one, Elizabeth is full of the spirit and she pronounces God's blessing on Mary. Later, the Spirit enables Zechariah to prophesy about the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, the Spirit of God tells an old man, Simeon, that he won't die until he sees the Messiah in person. In Peter's first sermon in Acts, he tells the church that the promised Spirit is here and the evidence will be that they will all prophesy. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Later on in the book of Acts, there's a, a kind of an unknown Christian named Agabus. He shows up twice with a message from the spirit to tell about what is coming for the church. They were able to prophesy about the work of God through the spirit of God. Not only were they the same in parallels in, the, in that, they were parallels in their, how they enacted justice. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus here in his first sermon, his first sermon at all, he, he starts a sermon this way. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them 
that are Bruce. See, Jesus said, the Spirit's upon me to preach, but I'm not just here to preach uh, you know, prosperity or preach goodness. I'm here to set captives free, to help the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he says that Jesus' ministry consisted about, about going around Israel doing good and healing. The apostles... They used the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit in them to set the captives free as well. In Luke chapter, Acts chapter 16, Paul frees a girl from a demon that's possessing her and her masters that are abusing her. They used the Spirit to enact justice in their society. But not only do we see it in, in that, we see it in, lastly in their joy. Luke chapter 10 verse 21, it says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced, in spirit. You know, Acts chapter 2 says that when the Spirit of God came upon the first church, the evidence of it was awe and gladness and joy came upon every believer. One sign of a Spirit-filled believer, one sign of a Spirit-filled church is joy. Psalms 100 says that we are to enter his, his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Psalms 35 says that those that delight in his salvation will shout with joy. Galatians 5 says that being filled with the Spirit leads to joy, which leads to singing. Our worship services are to be characterized by shouting and singing and praising God, and it should be overwhelming. So I get kind of concerned about some of you that don't seem to be very joyful during our worship. Even now, some of you look a little grumpy. Don't hold up your sign, Miss Lucy. Some of, you, some of you look like you're not having fun when we're singing. Some of you look like we're not having fun. You're enduring. You say, well, this is, it's not my personality. You know, I'm just not a very joyful person. I bet you are. I bet if you won $100 million, you'd be pretty joyful. You'd be shouting and screaming and all kinds of stuff because you won the lottery. If your team won the national championship, I bet you'd be joyful. You know how I know? Because when UVA did it, I woke up the neighbors. I was so joyful. They called the cops on me. Cops came with a noise ordinance. I said, I don't care. Woo! I was joyful. How sad is it that we're more joyful over winning the lottery or our team doing good than we are in worshiping our Savior? We're to be joyful as we worship God. And look, I know some of you are like, well, you know what? I just, it's not, I like different style of worship, different style of music. That's fine. I understand that. What do you think they're singing in heaven right now? More importantly, how do you think they're singing in heaven right now? Do you think they're going, amazing grace out? No, 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 no. They are shouting and singing and glorifying God and jumping up and down and dancing. And they are having an incredible time because they are worshiping the Savior. But we're out here going, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Really? Doesn't look like it. 
look like you're still chained. We're to be full of joy and praising God. I got off on a tangent, but I didn't care. I don't care. I felt like it anyway. Psalm 35, 27 says, let them shout for joy and be glad that my favor, glad that favor my righteous cause. You know, that's a command, not a suggestion. You know, when we're singing praises to God, it's okay for you to shout. It's okay for you, amen, praise God. You know, that's what I'm gonna miss about Paul. He's the only one that really said amen. All I have to do is say resurrection and Paul go, amen. Or else you, I don't know what I gotta do. I gotta get those defibrillators and try to shock y'all to get some excitement out of you. It's okay to be loud in church. Because we're praising God. We're worshiping God. Well, I just don't do that. Maybe you just don't have the power of the Spirit on your life. Because when you do, you shout for joy. You rejoice in the God of your salvation. So here's the point of all this. Not, I want you to be louder in church, though I wouldn't mind it. Here's the point of all of this. Jesus depended on the power of the Spirit in him while he was on earth. If God in the flesh, the creator who came to earth and was born of a virgin, if he depended on the power of the Spirit for how he lived his life, how much more should we? Because I know some of y'all are great. Ain't none of you God in the flesh. Not even close. So if God came from heaven and emptied himself of his access to the power of God and relied on the spirit of God, he did it to show us that's how we're supposed to live. And I know this isn't a, you know, it's, it's our three year anniversary. I'm supposed to talk about how great God's good, good God's been and what his next plans are. And look, God's been great. And I think God's got great plans for our church in the future. But you know what it's going to take? It's going to take us as his children living in the power of the spirit of God. If we don't do it, I don't care what programs we come up with. I don't care what things we try to do. I don't care what we attempt. If we don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing will be accomplished for God's glory in this church. And that's not how I want to live. I don't want to be as part of a church like that. I don't want to be a part of a church that looks great and sounds great and has wonderful, you know, outreach and people think highly of it, but they don't have the spirit of God. I'd rather be a part of a church that no one even knows about right now, but they got the power of the spirit on them so much that they're going out and changing the world for the kingdom of God. Jesus limited himself on earth and depended on the spirit so that we could see we have access to the same power that he did. And this, this teaching is not just unique to the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it's seen throughout the entire Bible. Throughout the Bible, there are two images that are used to kind of talk about God's presence, God's spirit, fire, and wind. In the Old Testament, fire represented the presence of God. The God was a pillar of fire to lead Israel while they're in the wilderness. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. In Acts, the Holy Spirit appears upon the believers when they're baptized by the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire. Also, wind. Wind 
Well, the wind of God is what parted the Red Sea. God's Spirit blew upon the Red Sea and parted it as wind. When the, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came, it sounded like a rushing wind. In Acts, or in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 70 disciples in the power of the Spirit to go around Israel preaching the gospel. In Numbers 11, the burden to lead Israel was overwhelming to Moses, so he calls 70 elders, and the Bible says God gave him, they gave them his spirit to help lead the nation of Israel. Luke and the whole Bible tells us that we do not live by our power, we do not live by our might, we live by the spirit of God. And the spirit of God isn't just for the church, first church, it's not just for the hyper-charismatic crowd that we're all afraid of. To overlook the work and the power of the Spirit in us, we would have to cut out the entire Bible. The entire Bible tells us that without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. So that brings us to our question. I'm going to, answer, I'm going to try to answer today. With the same power available to us that Jesus had, with the same power available to us that the first church had, how come so many churches today and so many believers today are living powerless lives? I've got two reasons. One, we depend on the wrong source of power. Where do you get your power to overcome sin? Where do you get your power to resist the devil? Where do you get your power to forgive those who have hurt you? Where do you get the power to see dead things in your life be resurrected? What, what about having power in the ministry? Look, I'll be honest with you, this year has been hard. We, last October, me and the leadership, we, we sat down and we, we planned out our entire year. Man, we had conferences, we had VBS planned, we had retreats planned. We had everything planned. And God just up in heaven laughed at us. Thought, well, <laughs> that's so funny. You planning for 2020, <laughs> sucker. And then 2020 hit and the calendar got thrown away. Ministry got hard. People stopped coming to church. Look, people are afraid to come to church. And look, some people, let's be honest, they, this was an excuse they finally had a legitimate reason to not come to church anymore. And I, some of those people probably will never come back. But some people were, were struggling to even get in touch with people and talk to people and invite people out. And we're having trunk or treat and we're having to figure out how to do trunk or treat six feet away. Do we, you know, get t-shirt guns and shoot candy at kids? What do we do? <clears throat> we got to figure out weird stuff. What do you do when ministry gets hard? Too often... We run to our own power and our own work and our own wisdom and we act like the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember what happened when they tried to call their God and nothing happened? Remember what they did? They worked harder. They danced harder. They did everything harder and nothing happened. And what did Elijah do? He sat back, looked, sitting under a tree and said, God, do your thing. And pfft. God showed up. Too often we trust our, our power, our ability, 
our talent. Maybe we run to alcohol or drugs or pornography or illicit relationships to help try to ease the pain. We don't trust the power of God that is in us. In Daniel, we see a man that had an excellent spirit upon him and it gave him wisdom and knowledge that made him, the Bible says, 10 times better than everyone else that he was with. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God gives the spirit of wisdom in Revelation. Isaiah tells us God gives us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. We have that spirit, but we don't run to it for our source of power. We run to ourselves. We run to sin. We run to everything else but God and then wonder why we don't have power. There's a second reason we don't have power. Number two, we're not engaged in the mission of the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is not a magic charm that gives you good luck when you need it. It came to Jesus and it came to the church for a purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Spirit of God was given to us, not for our benefit, not for our pleasure, but for us to help get the gospel to the entire world. Jesus came as a minister. He came as a witness and he came as the one who poured out his life for others. Since his spirit lives in us, that's what we should be doing as well. We should be ministering to the hurting. We should be sharing the gospel to the lost and giving our lives for his kingdom. If I asked every single one of you, do you want the Holy Spirit power? As believers, I think most of us would say, yeah, I do. I want the Holy Spirit power. I want the Holy Spirit evident in my life. And that's great. But why do you want his power? To serve you better? Or to serve his kingdom, his church, and his mission? There's no disconnect between the mission of God and the power of God. It's between the pe there's, it is between the people of God and the mission of God. See, Jesus, as God on earth, he willingly emptied himself of his power to show us an incredible lesson. He lived his life, he served, he ministered through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have that same spirit in us. We have to depend on that power instead of depending on ourselves or other things that steal away God's power from us. So what are you depending on this morning? Are you part of God's mission? Are you enjoying the gift of grace that God has given us?